Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. My name is Muiwa, and on the profile this week, we have a man who's been a part of some of the biggest bands in the UK, including the Stone Roses. Nigel Ippinson Fleming tells his story of rock and roll, drugs, traveling, and now being a pastor. Nigel Ipson Fleming. Nigel, thank you for joining us. It's good to see you. Good to be here. Good to be here. Uh, let me take you back. Um, mm reading about you and talking to you uh, you started in music earlier yeah. one one thread that's run through your life yes is, is music it's music yeah um the age three yeah comes up as significant yeah but do you do you remember anything of those years um yeah i do um i i it's um i think the key thing about it is is my my grandparents came over um from the west indies in the kind of windrush kind of era and um, the house that my grandfather uh, purchased um, that had a piano in it. So um, in some ways you could say that that is a bit of divine providence in the sense that a piano was in the house. I can distinctly remember it um, being there and my first kind of like experimentation um, Mm. with it and first having a go on it. So um, at the age of, um, yeah, at the age of three, I can what I can most remember is actually my frustration with not actually being able to do what I could hear in my head. Oh. Uh, so that part of the equation, I always say to people that I I was very good at slamming the piano lid down before <laughs> I was actually good at playing it. Now, uh, what so, island did your yeah. uh, parents or your grandparents, grandparents come from? Um, a small island in the West Indies called Anguilla. Okay. Uh, that's where my grandfather was from. And um, my grandmother, there's a, a very small island next to that called St. Martin, uh, which is half French, half Dutch. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was from there. So um, they came over to England, I think it was 1952, I think it was. And um, they settled in Liverpool. And, um, yeah, the house that they bought, it had a piano in. And, uh, they, so the music you would hear mm-hmm. was from parents and grandparents playing music, or was it from... School was it from radio? Um, it was literally from my grandfather's um, record collection, which uh, contained no secular music at all, uh, uh, because of his um, belief. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all jazz. Okay. So um, I grew up listening to Oscar Peterson and uh, Errol Garner and guys along those lines, who he thought was okay. It was okay to listen to that, and maybe a bit of Pat Boone, uh, okay. and you know, uh, maybe a bit of tiny little bit of country and western but jazz was the predominant you know, i guess i can understand a bit more your frustration because uh <laughs> yeah with, with jazz players they yeah. you, they play the stuff and, and, yes. and you listen you think wow yeah. sounds great and it yeah. sounds so easy yes yeah. it sounds like yes i can do I can it and then that. you yeah. uh... <laughs> and then you, everything just falls apart because you can't express it mm-hmm. and um we we had i, I can remember uh, around about the age of probably around about four or five um, is when my grandfather thought that it was okay to uh, to have a television um, because again it was one of those things that you know it, we didn't have one mm-hmm. and um, at that age then I started um, to hear uh, more what were early television adverts right. uh, which was simpler uh, to be able because obviously I, I didn't um, I didn't read music I could only uh, play music by ear so to hear adverts or going to church and hearing uh, stuff in church, I could basically pick out the basics of what, you know. What, what, what was the church life like for you at that age? Um, it was very intense because my grandfather was the pastor. Um, and it was intense, not only from an attendance point of view, but I'd say from uh, learning about um, relationships because our house was an open house uh, in that sense. But let's go back a little. Mm-hmm. Um, because for him, mm-hmm. obviously, knowing what we know now about the experience of the Windrush generation, yes. uh, there was a lot of rejection which yeah. led to them establishing their mm. own places and gatherings of yes. worship. Yeah. What was your granddad's experience? Do, do you know of that? Um, well, he worked on the, um, in the railway industry. And um, one thing that I do remember is I remember our house being very, um, very busy. Uh, a lot of people coming and going. Um, 
but he seemed to have, I, I, I think, a, a, an ability to relate with people of all types, uh, you know, from all kinds of backgrounds. Because uh, I do remember his earliest, the, the area that my grandfather settled in was a predominantly white area. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of that, um, yes, we, you know, we went to church, we saw friends that were, you know, from the same background as us, but, you know, people from work, his working background and stuff, and people that came around or people from the neighborhood were all, you know, of different backgrounds. So I remember that being a very early part of, you know, his mindset and mm. by default, my mindset as well. So in terms of church, was mm-hmm. he able to plug into the uh, existing uh, church traditions or was was he functioning outside of... I'd the- say that he plugged into what was the, uh, you know, the Pentecostal tradition that he'd kind of grown up in. And, you know, I'd guess from the community of people that had traveled over and, you know, him being a pastor over there and then being one here. Um, so I guess it kind of had that kind of vibration around it. How, how resilient do you, do you think, or do you, would you say yeah. that generation is compared to our generation? Because um, for, for our generation, we, we, uh, uh, a little discomfort, yeah. in how people look at us, yes, talk to yeah. us or regard us. Yes, yes. And we get very annoyed. Yeah, we, yeah, you know, yeah. we, our walls go up. And, yes, yeah. But here was a, a generation who they, they had so much more to deal with, yet yeah. they seem to keep going and they seem yeah. to do like your your grandfather, keep, yeah. keep, keep reaching over the keep fence. Reaching out. Yeah. Do you consider them to be more resilient or do you do you think that we're just more educated about what's intolerable yeah i would say that uh, they were definitely more resilient and i would also say that um that level of resilience is something that um i would definitely say that he kind of really passed on to me or made me very aware of um which was the fact that you've got to get out there and have you know take opportunity and don't be uh, his words to me were always about making sure that you were exceedingly good at your job or exceedingly good at what you did so that the issue of your background or your race or what you look like, um, yes, it may well be an issue, but it potentially will be more of an issue if you make it an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was very much his idea. And, you know, struggle then, mm-hmm. um, you know, the types of things that they dealt with at the time then, um, I, I think were... You know, they were remarkable in comparison to, you know, the opportunities, I would say, you know, opportunity, you know, the answer to the majority of questions nowadays, you find you just need to type into Google and the answer (laughs) is right there. Whereas even looking back 20 years ago to even me starting in in, in business, um, the things that I had to do and what I sought out to do as ideas, they're definitely more akin with um, what I saw and understood from my grandparents and, and critically um, when he because I, I spent about a five-year period where he took me back to the West Indies to live so living there as well also gave me a different kind of angle or slice on what hard work mm. actually really looks like yeah yeah it's, it's interesting your your journey mm. um, well I, I, th- I think it is um, so you you start with your grandfather who's yeah. a who's a preacher, but yes. uh, also a, a, a layman as, yes, as he yeah. worked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, music is a big part of his life. Yes. Um, he's very adept with dealing with different cultures, different people. Yeah. Um, and you you do the journey of a young man in, in Liverpool. You, you know, yeah. live life, you see life. Then you yeah. do the journey into the world of pop music and, yes. and everything that comes with that, which I'd love to hear about because, yeah. you know, yeah. we'll love to know what <laughs> yeah. life is. Oh, wow. And and now here you are almost full circle mm-hmm. back where granddad yes. was. Yes, yes. As a minister. Yes, As yes. a businessman. Yes, yeah. Uh, but let me uh, just go back a, a little. We, we've talked about you growing up. Um mm-hmm. What was uh, what, what are your earliest memories of what was faith like for you as a young black man? Okay, um, now I'm talking. I'm talking teens. Now. In teens, yeah. all right. Okay, from a teens perspective, um, okay, I'll put it this way: um, it was more challenging, I would say, to uh, 
let's say, overtly express it. Yeah. So I, I think I knew what I knew, um, but I knew what I knew from a head knowledge perspective. Yeah. Mm. So um, um, I always say when I'm uh, teaching this or I'm saying this in church, sometimes I talk about the fact that, um, you, know, the, the, you know, the old hymn that says, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Mm. Um, I believe that I knew uh, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine from the perspective that I'd been told that Jesus was mine. Mm. So uh, and uh, and the way that my grandfather was, was he he made sure that I knew I knew that Jesus was mine because he, my grandfather said so. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I accepted that Jesus was mine because my grandfather said that he was mine and I didn't necessarily know any different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you grow a little bit more and then you face a few more challenges and you see more things uh, you come into contact with more people and then eventually I guess your faith then moves from being head knowledge into being what I would consider to be heart knowledge mm. I'd, I'd like yeah. to know that the, the, the turning point for you of was was it uh, uh, was it a particular moment of turbulence yeah. that made you reconsider and make it a heart thing? Yeah, I would say that um, what I will say about, um, I mean, the Bible says this, you know, as long as the earth remains, there'll be seed, time and harvest. And mm-hmm. one of the things that my grandfather did, I, I, I went to live over there when I was eight years old. Um, I left there when I was 13. And when I came back to England, um, from the age of 13 stroke 14 up until when he passed away in 1991 I was 21 at the time he would write me letters and at the top of every letter he'd write uh, just he just put Joshua 1 verse 8 you know which says you know this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night observe to do what it says and then you'll make your way prosperous and mm-hmm. you'll have good success so for me that um for me, that's almost like subliminal uh, teaching uh, from a distance that he was doing. And every time he sent the letters, it would be there. And so obviously, as I was going through my journey in life through teens and then going into the music industry full time and then getting to a point now where um, uh, I'm now reaching, uh, if you would call it crisis or breaking point, it is at that point then where the seed of that word, I guess, starts to germinate. Mm-hmm. And then I start to see the reality of it now. It's now not just something that's at the top of a letter. It's now something that's made its journey down to heart. You know, most of us, if we'll be honest, mm-hmm. as, as Christians, we're keen to know about the, the stone roses, the yeah. life of rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. we want to know. But yeah. but a question that's been just jumping around in my head Mm -hmm. you've spoken a lot about your grandfather Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh but where was your father and where are the women in your life right okay at that early age at that early age well first and foremost my my father um he's of nigerian descent and um him and my mother separated when i was uh, three years old Uh, and it is as a result of that um marital separation that i ended up in the hands of my grandfather he was the one that basically said um, that he would take the responsibility of raising me and, um, for want of better words, give my mother the opportunity to reestablish her own life um, mm. after a marriage breakdown. Before we talk about your mm-hmm. mother and the women in your life, mm-hmm. um, that particular junction in your, in your life, did that mm-hmm. affect your your psyche, your view of Nigerians or Africans? And if it did, how did you resolve that? Okay, um, I would say there's there's been a, a massive journeying process in that. Number one, um, I would say at that period of time, early 70s, uh, I mean, may well still be the same now, um, but there was definitely from my family, mm-hmm. and I, I would say with some West Indians, a certain level of uh, suspicion or distance between both of those cultures. I, you see, I know it well because yes, yeah. at my school, yeah. Archbishop Tenson's Grammar School, this was one of the, uh, and it's interesting how there's there's uh, there's injury on both sides. Yes, yes. Because yeah. on, on my side, I would get teased and bullied a lot yeah, yeah. by kids who will call me an effing African. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. years later, I yeah. find out that actually... Yeah. All the boys who were the the biggest perpetrators in, in <laughs> yeah. Ashford's attendance yeah. grammar school yeah. um, were actually yeah. all 
half, half Nigerian. Yeah, yeah, there we go. And yeah. and then it's later on growing up that I realized yeah. the pain they were feeling, which yes. they were expressing to me yeah. in yeah. Nigerian, was the pain yeah. of yeah. having had a dad who was absent. Yes. And then they heard what their mother's family would say, the who same, were yeah. Yeah. generally all West Indians. 100%. Yes. You know? yeah. So yeah. It, 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 it's made yeah. me understand whilst I was feeling, and it's easy, I was feeling the pain of being abused. Yes, yes. But yes. actually what yes. was happening was coming from a place of, of pain. Yes, definitely, definitely. So for your family, yeah, they were going through the, the same thing. They were going through that same thing. And um, uh, what I would say from my own point of view is that, um, y- you know, when you know that something is missing, but you don't necessarily know what that is. Yeah. And um, it is only through going through that journey and then at a certain point, it would have been around about 2003, um, I got asked to be the worship pastor of a redeemed Christian Church of God church. Yeah. And it, as, it is as a result of, for want of better words, Im- if, well, immersing myself within that church and within that culture that, that must have been a culture shock for you, though. Well, it, it was a culture shock, but it was also a kind of, oh, that's that's what's been missing, ah, if you see what I mean. Right. Because right. it was an understanding. Um, it, it's a very, uh, I, 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 it's it's a weird way to use the word entitlement, mm. um, but I I know what I mean when I say entitlement. That you know there is something that you have access to. And you don't know what that is. And then you get involved in a culture. And uh, like, say, for example, um, even though I grew up as a musician in jazz um, and uh, in gospel, learning American gospel and all of those different things, and then going into the world of pop music, when I experienced praise and worship uh, through the eyes or through the lens of uh you know, African culture and through the redeemed Christian Church of God, that it kind of squared the circle in a lot of ways in terms of my, just in terms of my music. Mm-hmm. It, that gave me um, the, the confidence actually to be a worship leader. Oh. Whereas I'd always previously just seen myself as just, uh, you know, as the guy behind the scenes that was either making the records or producing music. So a lot of things came to fruition and through that, and the other lead on from there was one day, um, whilst at home, uh, I decided to type my surname into um, into Facebook uh, to see what names uh, would come up, and um, I, I saw um, the the you know a, a few of my surname come up, and um, I looked and I thought, um, actually no 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 I think I'll leave that. And then about two years later, I did exactly the same thing. And I saw three names uh, come up. And what I decided to do was to send a a direct message to one of those names. And that person uh, turned out to be my first cousin in Nigeria. And I found out that I have a whole, um, I have uh, four brothers and sisters over in Nigeria. Um, as a result, uh, that happened within about six months of, uh, of me being the pastor of the church over in Wales. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it, again, what it gave me and confidence. Now, I hear you, mm-hmm. gives you confidence, but that's, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, it, it, it messes with the variables of my norm, you know. Yeah. What, what do you do with that? Um, Knowing that you've got... A family, and we all have a, 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 a deep. I mean, I don't know about you, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I um, a deep sense of uh, a, a wanting to belong. And, yeah, yeah. You know, having been in this country most of my life by myself, mm-hmm. and even though I know I have family, but you know, you, you, yeah. you, 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 you want to, you, yeah. you gravitate towards those. Yeah. Who, and so here you are, mm-hmm. uh, this young man yes granddad is a strong part of your life yes yeah. you, you you know you're clear in your mind where you belong mm-hmm. but there's this little question of That's this there. this chip yeah and then you you find it and then you you realize yes. that there's a whole world yeah yeah yeah, of yeah. The brothers and sisters, sisters yeah. naturally yes, yes yes you want to ask more what did yeah. you do with that well um the the first thing um it, it's it's actually uh, when i say it's a little bit um painful kind of talking about it um 
the first part of the equation was the fact that I, I always, I, I thought he was there. I've never thought that he was gone. Yeah, and I never. My one thing about my mother was the fact that she never ever spoke ill of him. Mm. So that, in some ways, led me to want to kind of find out what his story was. What led to you making the decision to leave, you know, my mother, sisters, and 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 to go. Um, the, the most painful part, I would say, of that was um, a finding. First, I find out yes that. Um, I've made a genuine connection. Mm-hmm. These are real people, and they appear to know. The second part was going on to my youngest sister on that side's um, Facebook profile. We've added one another now, and seeing that she had a picture of me and my sister um, from when we were um, in the era when we were living in the West Indies. Yeah. So to go on her Facebook profile and see a picture of me from when I was seven or eight years old meant that she too was also holding on to the idea that at some point I'll connect with these guys. The The third part of the equation for me was um, when we had the first telephone conversation um, because the only thing I wanted to know was where is he then? Mm-hmm. And then in that conversation to find out that he um, died um, was that was devastating. Uh, that much I can definitely say. It was devastating. Yeah. And you know, I, it's interesting to hear you because for me, um, being being here, and I remember the the years where I. I would ask the question, why? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and I remember being adopted by a, a family in church. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I was telling the story recently to, to a group of church leaders. And I remember one day, I, I was probably about 16, about 16, and I just broke down. My, I was crying because I yeah. wanted my own dad. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you yes, know? yes, yes. And, yeah. and I remember yeah. the, 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 the gentleman who's, who I call dad, Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mr. Akinde comes into the room, a Nigerian, mm-hmm. and he and he says to me, "Haven't I been a good enough father, father. to you?" Yeah, 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 yeah. And he hadn't made me cry even more. more. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because I thought, yeah, yes, yeah. you have, have, but you know, I've got this. It's an invisible thing that you actually really can't. Um, I mean, I I don't. I obviously don't know because I couldn't hear, mm. but from what I've been told, um, the my expression of at the time when I actually heard, you know, on the phone, because I asked the question a couple of times just to make sure that she actually said that, you know, it's, it is right. Mm. Um, um, but what I've been told is the sounds that I made at that moment were classed as primal. Uh, and I think it was, um, it, it was a heart cry for what I perceived to be of, a, a, a missing a missing link mm. if i'm honest with you the only thing that made it it's a strange thing to say but the only thing that made it better feel better for me was the fact that um i discovered that he passed away within a couple of months of my grandfather passing away yeah so me being able to go back in time to where I was. My, my grandfather passed away when I was on tour in America with OMD um, in, 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 I think we were in Texas. And um, I had to um, fly to, um, I had to fly to the West Indies, um, do his funeral. And within 24 hours of doing his funeral, I was back in Colorado on stage in front of however many thousand people. Um, but that point, uh, which was the 24th, I think it is, of September 1991, um, that marked the commencement of my kind of steady decline, as it were, into the excesses of rock and roll mm-hmm. because my grounding uh, with my grandfather passing as such had gone and I had to carry on the mask of living. So in a way, when I found out that my father had passed away within that small window of time as well. In some kind of small way, I've been able to 
marry those events with what was actually happening to me in mind, body, spirit at that time in life, really. Nigel is back with us on The Profile after the break with some more of his life journey. Premier Christianity magazine. Are you fed up with fake news or bored of bad stories? We think it's time for something different. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity magazine. Every month, our team publishes stories of lives transformed, testimonies, miracles, healings, and loads more good news. We're here to encourage you, excite you, and keep you up to date with all that God is doing through His church. That's why we're proud to bring you a magazine that's different. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. My name is Muiwa, and on the profile this week, we have a man who's been a part of some of the biggest bands in the UK, including the Stone Roses. Nigel Ipsum Fleming, thank you for staying with us. Yeah, good, um, good. We've, um, it's been something of a excavation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been digging for diamonds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's interesting because off off air you you said uh it's not i haven't talked about this for a while it's yeah. not pretty yeah 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 but but i wonder though yeah it, is it so not pretty well the uh, i would say the pretty side of it is the is the sense that um as a result of me ending up in my grandfather's hands mm. and observing the way that he did life and observing this kind of open house mentality and in particular seeing the way how he um, dealt with people and young people in particular um, I think what came out of that for me is an innate if you were to call it pastoral mm. um, mentoring coaching um, fathering heart um, so I've ended up by default with uh, just a load of people that um, I've ended up just fathering mm. and being um, a role model to them alongside, um, you know, my own, uh, you know, kind of birth for children, as it were. So um, yeah. this is where we're at at the moment. Uh, the pastoring is a big part of your mm -hmm. life, mm -hmm. not just within the church setting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you work with, with schools with thousands of teachers yeah. mm -hmm. and, and children mm -hmm. around the country. Yeah. Uh, but before we got to that point, I mean, you, you talked about a point where after your grandfather had passed, it was a, yeah. a, a downward, yeah. downward Down uh, spiral, spiral yeah. uh, mm -hmm. which, which I guess is where you then found yourself again in, in yeah. Christ. But, yes. but let's talk about the, the rock and roll days yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's yeah. what everyone oh, wants to know. Rock no one wants to know that your middle name is Bolari. But the rock and roll days, what was life like? Yeah. Uh, when you think about, because I, yeah. I, 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 I think in pictures you see. Yes, yeah. When yeah. you think about the years of Stone Roses mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and the other bands you were in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what are the pictures that come to your mind immediately you, you, you switch, okay. you flip that switch? Um, instantly, I think of, um, I, I, instantly I think of travel. Um, I think of locations. Um, I think of empty. I think of rollerblading in empty stadiums, waiting to sound check. Um, wow! So that's stuff that we yeah. see in yeah. in uh, in rock movies. Yeah, those, that's real. Those are real. That's real. Wow. Um, I think of, um, in particular, and I guess it's most. Uh, poignant now with um, him only recently passed away. The biggest uh, gig that we did was in Germany. Um, mm. It was um, us, uh, OMD. I was with OMD, uh, Duran Duran, uh, ZZ Top and Prince and being stood 
at the side of the stage and watching Prince, uh, you know, do his thing right there. Absolutely, you know, absolutely amazing. So, yeah, the travel. Um, one of the other things that I used to love um, to do was um, before a, a show, I'd love to go out to the front um, and just sit off somewhere uh, where, you know, you couldn't be seen and just watching people just file in from every corner of roads and what angles. What do you find you know. fascinating about people people watching? Um, I, 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 what I found fascinating about that is the fact of, you know, the, the just the sheer devotion to what they were coming to actually see. Mm-hmm. And you know that you're on the other side of that equation and you're a part of providing that and giving that. And, um, you know, the energy behind that is... You know, absolutely amazing. The rock and roll industry, you know, music as a communications tool is is just, you know, it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. I I also remember, um, uh, you know, just things like uh, the the experience of television, you know, like, uh, and what that was really like. And then being alongside other, you know, being alongside other bands who were, like in particular, um, being in the Stone Roses and, uh, you know, young upstarts called Oasis, and uh, and yeah. you know, Blur. It, well, in, in <laughs> based on where we were at the time, because uh, yeah. your your band was really the the you were at the the arrowhead of yeah. this whole Manchester of movement. That movement. Music. Yeah, exactly. And for me as a musician, one of the things for me as a musician being involved in particular in the Stone Roses was the fact that obviously I'm coming from a jazz background um so i'm i'm i know how to play pretty much anything and to then go into a synth pop band like omd which was you know alongside Kraftwerk and the pet shop boys mm-hmm. and erasure that genre and then to be able to swap genre and be in the you know indie rock thing so for me as a musician it was great to be able to kind of traverse those kind of boundaries and you know and but be in two bands that are really at the cutting edge of you know what that you know industry is all about so yeah let me ask you though mm-hmm. um i mean knowing a bit about your your genealogy mm-hmm. And, and, and 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 um knowing that something of that cuts through yes um yeah and then here you are you 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 have a bit of that nigerian in you Mm-hmm. You have this very strong West Indian yeah. upbringing and very strong faith. Yes. yes. And then you have this uh, uh, great wealth of music that's yeah. been put in you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see how that made you uh, something of an outlier amongst yeah. other young black musicians? Yeah. Who were, because, you know, black yeah. musicians were. Ten to the dozen, you know, you yes. had great musicians, but yes. they were, yeah. you were yeah. a little out there. I, I think um, one of the key things, and I, I know it's coming back to him again, mm-hmm. um, but I think my grandfather's input comes in again into this because um, alongside my contemporaries at the time, uh, you know, the idea was to become you know, a session musician. So you're a session musician, you turn up, you're the guy, you're dressed in black, you go in, you play, you disappear. Whereas um, my idea was to be uh, more a part of the actual entity itself. Whatever entity I was involved in, I wanted to be a part of that actual movement. I wanted to, you know, to have a voice within that, not necessarily... Um, just make my money. Just make my money and go. Um, because, And also, I didn't see longevity in in that because then you're just a hired gun whereas if you're going to create a legacy in terms of what you're building it it to me it made more sense to be involved in what the identity of the music was all about so if i it, when it came to omd um uh, again you know synth pop melodies no improvisation allowed as a jazz musician <laughs> that's almost like tying one hand behind your back but i immersed myself in that and understood what that was all about. Um, when it came to the Stone Roses, again, I immersed myself in the in the culture and uh, not just the culture, the clothing. You know, the if you're in that industry, what does that 
look like? If you're in this genre, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And you dress appropriately. So then you become a part of the entity um, rather than just someone that comes Let, in. And let's goes talk out. about the music. Let's mm-hmm. talk about some of the some of the, the content you were churning out. I mean, mm. you, you talk about being a jazz musician, but mm. in, in terms of um, did the the lyrics of the songs yeah. Yeah. that you you made yeah. did they have any impact on you at all? And if yes, yeah. what, what impact? Did that in particular, um, I would say um, less so um, in OMD, um, but in the Stone Roses, um, and I think the reason why it made such an uh, an impact on me at the time is because obviously I think I was getting closer to my own kind of spiritual rebirth. So as opposed to me just playing the music and I'm a part, you know, I was, I was listening more to what I'm playing. I also then was doing a lot more backing vocals and things along those lines, singing more. So you're paying a lot more attention. Mm -hmm. The Stone Roses in particular, um, there's a song on the second coming called Breaking Into Heaven. And um, uh, the closer I got to the end of the stone of me being in the Stone Roses and my knowledge um, that it was time for me to change my life. There was in this particular song, um, there's a, a, a lyric that says, how many times do I have to tell you, you don't have to wait to die. You can have it all anytime you want it. Yes, the kingdom's all inside. Now, uh, I, I grew up on under, obviously understanding the theory of the kingdom and, um, you know, the biblical references of that. Um, but I was also at the point now where I was seeking to change direction. And so me, uh, I was starting to make more of a join now with the fact that, yes, uh, the kingdom of God is within me. That's, there's something that's inside me that needs to uh, be reborn, that needs to grow. Mm-hmm. And every time on stage that we did that song, especially getting closer to when I knew it was the end, we'd get to that particular point and I would just, I'd cry every night. And I think that that oh. was because I knew that I was coming to the end of something, but I also knew that I was at the beginning of something. It's just I didn't know what the beginning looked like. Yeah. So, so there's so much to talk about. Let's. So we, we, you come to the end of the the, the journey yeah. with the stoners. Now you can look back and see. Well, that was the beginning of, of something of else. the new yeah. me. Yeah. How easy was it to say goodbye? I mean, Ian Brown and, and the rest. Yeah. The, these were not just workmates. These, <laughs> like you said, you'd immersed yourself in the culture. Yeah, yeah. Into it. Yeah. How yeah. easy was it to say goodbye? Um, it wasn't um, easy uh, by any stretch of the imagination. It was. It was. In some ways, it was easier to say goodbye to the physical um, people mm-hmm. than it was to say goodbye to the idea of who I was and who I, be- you know, and then to start to, for want of better words, reinvent myself and and rebuild and start all over again. And um, I spent six months over in America. Um, and I know, you know, the phrase finding yourself is is pretty overused, but I spent six months over in America. I got rid of all of my possessions. Um, I literally had clothes and, and, and a small backpacker, a pencil slim kind of guitar. And I literally just traveled for about six months trying to um, understand what I could do to rebuild and restart and what did rebuilding actually really look like. Because I knew that I loved music, but I knew that I didn't want to be in the music industry anymore. Um, I knew that I wanted stability. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wanted family. Uh, and uh, and I guess I knew that I wanted to build, uh, to a certain extent, what I'd seen my grandfather build as a legacy. Uh, but I didn't quite know how I was going to get from here to there. How, how did you deal with the uh, the uh, the emotional upheaval? That yeah. I mean, I'm I'm assuming, yeah, uh, because you're, you're human. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How did you yeah. deal with the emotional upheaval, and how did that come out? Was it yeah. was it in in tears? Was it, was it in depression? Was it? I would say depression um, was a very. Uh, I, let me put it this way. I wouldn't have called it depression at the time, mm. but I'd say um, looking back on it, 
Um, I, you know, at a certain point in my um, cycle, I would say that I felt comfortable using that word um, because the word in itself carries, you know, such huge, you know, ramifications, you know. So, um, but I would definitely say during that period of time, you know, it was, uh, you know, you know that scripture in the Bible says where you you go to bed late and wake early and eat the bread of sorrows. Mm-hmm. That definitely was my, you know, kind of existence. I I was very, I was changing. I was sad, and I was hopeful, but I just didn't know. I, I just couldn't see where I needed to go, and so m- most days felt pretty much like Groundhog Day. I stopped driving. Um, that was. Um, for a start. Um, also, I was in a new relationship um, with my now wife. And um, I was also um, exiting, uh, I wouldn't call it a, a, a drug habit as such, but I'd gotten used to drugs being a part of my life as well. So it, I wouldn't necessarily call it an over-dependence, but it was a it was an, a door to to go through to mm-hmm. get relief on things. Who, who was the most? Who would you say was the most significant person mm-hmm. in at that time? Point in your, yeah, in your journey. Yeah, I'd say my you. wife. Yeah, I'd yeah. say my wife. Yeah, because I I'd known her since I was uh, thirteen, mm-hmm. and um, we both gone you know lived our lives in different ways, and um, when I got in touch with her. Um, with the idea of beginning a relationship, um, my, if you were to call it, my sales pitch wasn't based on romance. Um, it was based on the fact that I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to change my life. I could remember her and her, just her aura uh, and her her mindset mm-hmm. and her thinking. I could remember that from... So you didn't you come know. come on the phone and say, no. yeah, baby love. No, no, no. There was none <laughs> of that at all. It was, it, was a, it, was an hour, it was an hour and a half plus conversation where I literally laid out the essence of who I was mm-hmm. and how far I'd fallen, but also how high I thought I could rise. And if she was willing to uh, take uh, a gamble on that, I thought that, you know, it could work. Wow. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about the now. Mm-hmm. Um, you are, as I've said a few times, you, you, you pastor a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, you pastor a, a community of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, you run a business. Yes, yeah. Uh, which facilitates for other yeah. Christian yeah. businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mentally, mm-hmm. where where are you now? Right now, I'm in a very interesting place in the sense that um, I, I guess a lot of you know sometimes you can end you know when you're kind of fighting for something or you're you're believing in an idea and you're watching an idea grow and develop and you have no idea of where it's necessarily kind of going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a place at the moment where I'm watching a lot of what I conceived during the early days of reinvention now actually being um, manifest. It's a reality. So um, uh, UK churches, um, as, a, as an organization, we've grown to you know, service over 500 uh, churches and charities across the United Kingdom. Now, f- yeah. very quickly, UK mm-hmm. churches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- tell us a bit about that because yeah. that story in itself is incredible. I mean, you yeah. just say five hundred churches like that. Yes, as, yeah, as, yeah. As they just landed. Uh, yeah, and it, the reality is, is UK churches started in uh, nineteen ninety mm-hmm. nine. Um, I, I basically I needed a website. I, I I got a website my own self, but then I got into. Uh, working alongside other creatives that could do so. And then as a result of that, we ended up doing one, a website for one person, a website for another person. And then uh, that happened with a church. It happened with two or three churches. And I- I'm really proud to say that that company has grown um, with you know literally zero advertising other than word of mouth. Um, we now look after the Street Pastors Network as well, which has got 300 websites on its own. And um, that has been a really great 
adventure, um, just in terms of trusting God and, mm. and, and going through, you know, the cycles of up and down and wondering where it will go. And that's been absolutely amazing. So UK Churches is there. Um, I pastor a church in Wales uh, called Bethlehem Church Life Centre, which has been, again, another brilliant um, experience. I mean, pastoring is very, very hard and challenging work. But at the same time, my heart is for people. So the ability to be able to um, take ideas and share them every Sunday and then see that become the fabric of a community and then watch a community grow again is a brilliant um, thing. And then I guess where I am now, I'm at a place now where um, I've always been what I would consider to be a kingdom builder in the sense that I believe that the reality of church exists outside of the building. Um, but what I'm seeking to do now with um, my own um, uh, website or for want of, it's a bit like Nigel coming out really with nigelippinsonfleming.com and basically seeking to take the work that I've been doing in schools and the work that I've been doing in companies and the, the things through workshops and things like Thought for the Day and video casts and really take the, the, practical, um, the practical message of the gospel or to take the tools that enabled me to uh, grow from where I was on the 26th of August, mm -hmm. 1996, at the end of the Stone Roses and grow from there to now. Do you see yourself um, being able to engage with either some of your old friends from the entertainment industry mm -hmm. and sharing with them some of what you, some of the truths you now know with the yes. tools you have? Yeah, mm -hmm. is that part of your uh, part of your dream? Um, I think part of the I think part of the um, idea it, when it comes to uh, connecting with people from that period of time is um, I'd say it's more to uh, be able to demonstrate that it is possible to have a life of long-term purpose mm -hmm. because one of the challenges with being in the music industry and you know being attached to fame and celebrity and or being known or things along those lines that it's very short the fixes are very short term and um, one of the series that I've I've uh, I've spent a lot of time, especially in our church community, dealing with is the idea of events versus process, mm. and um, I've had to learn how to become a process-driven person. You know, it's very easy for me to say UK churches, bang, we've got you know 500 plus clients, but it's taken 16 years in order for it to grow from you know where it was at the very beginning you know, to where it is now. I mean, one of the amazing challenges of my life at the time was that um, when I launched UK Churches and I, I wanted to build that particular business, even though I I just exited being um, a pop musician, um, I was earning royalties in the music industry. I'd got married. Um, I'd had uh, my first uh, child, Lauren, my first daughter, and um, I made the decision to go and work in a company um, stacking shelves, working from 11 o'clock in the night till 7 uh, in the morning. And um, in, whilst doing that job, I had guys who were coming to me in, in the nighttime economy who were trying to sell me pirate CDs of music that I'd written. And I couldn't, <laughs> you know, do, do you know who I am? You, you, you can't do that. Yes. But again, this is, again, part of that whole work ethic mm. type thing that perhaps is, was perhaps more akin to the older generation. So for me, making the decision to build the business, mm. even though I was getting royalties and being an, an ex-pop star, but still going, no, I'm going to go and work on the night shift and I'm going to you know, be able to provide for my family and eventually the business will grow. That's a natural part of what I would say was put into me uh, from a work ethic point of view, which is that's a process driven thing. It's about mm -hmm. being able to see long term rather than there's no way I'd do that. I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. um, recently, I was um, I, in the mornings when I 
come to Premier out, I'd go for a run. Mm-hmm. You, you may not look at me and believe <laughs> that. But. So I, I was running and um, I was listening to a song that we play on Premier Gospel called Finish Strong. Yes, yes, yes. And I just began to cry then because I thought, a thought dawned on me. It's incumbent on me to finish strong yes. because of the sacrifice that Kayo did carry more Larry Roger, my father, yes. had made. Yes. Shola yes. Latino Larry Roger had made. Yes, yes. And I was running this big black man I'm on, on Vauxhall Bridge. I'm running, I'm yeah. crying, I'm thinking, yeah. man, yeah. I'm gonna finish strong. Yes. And I began to think of the things I would say to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I had the opportunity to see them. Yes, I wonder. Yes. Yeah. If you had the opportunity now to see mm-hmm. Grandad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then your father who you never knew. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. What things would you like to say to them? Yeah, the the instant, the instant uh, words to both of them would be thank you. Yeah, because... Thank you even to the one that 100%. Yeah, 100%. And one of the reasons why thank you uh, to my father is because... The reality is, is it's impossible to gauge. Uh, my father, um, I have one possession of my father, only one thing. It's a book by uh, Norman Vincent Peale called The Tough-Minded Optimist. Yeah, um, I have a book from my grandfather, which is called Think and Grow Rich. By Napoleon no way! Hill. Yeah, the, and I'm talking. No way! I'm talking the old. I'm. I mean. I mean, like the one of the original broken down ones of those yeah and i picked that book up i it was always on my grandfather's shelf no way and in 1998 before i got married i went across to the west indies i went to my grandfather's house and it was the one thing that i was after was that book i went to the house other people were living there i went in had a look around that book was on the shelf. I picked it up and took it. So for my grandfather, I have Think and Grow Rich. From my father, I have The Top-Minded Optimist. I can't put myself into the mind of what my father's circumstances were. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, who knows what he was already committed to before he even met my mom. Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows where he was. Maybe... Um, with the strength of my West Indian family, he might have found that, wow, that's a little bit overwhelming. I don't think I'm going to be able to integrate. Mm, who, knows? who knows? So who knows? I can't put myself into his mindset. But what I do have is the tough-minded optimist from him. And what I have from my grandfather is think and grow rich. If you put those two uh, ideologies together, yes, and then... You rest those two ideologies on top of the word of God from which comes all ideologies anyway. I've been given, and and then through my grandfather pointedly making sure that I receive Joshua 1 verse 8, um, I've been given really the keys to create anything whenever you want. So thank you would have to be what I'd have to say because what they gave me was something that's more you know what they say if you give a man a fish you know you feed him for day Mm. if you teach a man how to fish which is what I believe I got through my grandfather and through experience you teach a man how to fish well then you feed him for life Nigel Bohanle Ipsum (laughs) Fleming thank you thank you thank you thank you very much The Profile You're listening to Premier Christian Radio.